Well, it is really great to be here this morning as we open the Bible together and continue in our Fruits of the Spirit series from Galatians chapter 5. Um, encouragingly, I look around and I see a few faces I don't recognize, which is great. Um, as Scott was saying, for those of you who've forgotten about me, I'm very forgettable, um, but it's great to be here. Um, I am one of the elders that's based primarily over at Cantor, uh, and, and I come uh, with the greetings from the fellowship at Cantor, um, and a huge thanks for praying for us and with us over what's been a pretty challenging moment with the Rathals returning to the U.S., um, that said, I do want to bring encouraging reports. Uh, we were encouraged to see a couple of baptisms just a couple of weeks ago um, of new, new faith, folks coming through Alpha and, and uh, coming to faith, which is just brilliant. Um, we do things a little unconventionally in Contour. It was a hot tub baptism, um, but it was pretty cool. I think we should get on board with that. It's uh, maybe an investment we need to make in the garden out here. Um, but also just lots of new folks beginning to plug in and, and just really good. So as much as it's a hard season, uh, it's, we're really encouraged that the Lord's with us. So thank you for walking with us and for uh, your prayers and for your encouragement. Um, maybe just before we get started, I'm going to just pray. I know it's always one of these things where you're like, there's about 15 prayers before we start opening the Bible. But let me just pray and ask God to just give us wisdom. Uh, so Lord, we, we come and we, we recognize that you have gifted us with this precious word of God. Even just as Scott was recalling earlier, just uh, Jim's testimony of the the wonders of the word of Christ. And so we come and we open that and we do that uh, as a privilege. Father, we do that um, with eager hearts to hear from you and to see wonderful things in your word. God, we know that uh, as we tackle some topics that are hard for us to be able to, uh, in ourselves, um, achieve, Lord, we know that, that your word is perfect and your Holy Spirit is present. And so we come now and we ask you to move and do amazing things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning to get started, I wanted to take a quick poll in the room. And the question is, how many people, I want to see a show of hands, how many people shop on Amazon? Okay, there's plenty of, right, you're going to need to keep your hands going, right? So, next question. How many people in the room have got an Amazon Prime account? Okay, pretty much the same set of folks. Now, let's have a bit of fun. And remember that to lie in church is a particularly bad sin. There's no such thing by it. Uh, how many of you have ordered from Amazon Prime at least once in the past week? It's quieter. That's still a few. How many people have ordered more than once in the past week? So twice? Three times? Lynn, I love this. Four times? Maybe five. I love that. Well, listen, I have a confession to make. I've ordered not once, not twice, but four times from Amazon in the past week. But then to make it worse... I was sad enough to go and look back through our last six months of orders and discovered that in the past six months, we've ordered from Amazon 99 times. 99 times, that's ridiculous, right? Right, hang on a second. We'll, we'll use that as a case study in a minute. Now, 
You might be wondering why on earth I'm spending time endorsing Amazon, and it is worth noting that other online retailers are available. Uh, so for me, Amazon Prime is both incredible and completely awful at exactly the same time. For those of you who aren't familiar with the concept, and that didn't seem like very many of you in the room, but uh, Amazon Prime is a premium level offering from Amazon. You pay for it by subscription, and then as a result, you get accelerated shipping on your online orders. And in reality, that means that I can grab my app and I could go on and find something probably completely useless that I could order to, with one click of a button and have it here probably tomorrow, maybe even today. Now, there's loads of positive aspects for this. It's unbelievably convenient. And uh, during lockdown over the past couple of years, it's been a brilliant tool for us as a family. And in fact, it was about the only way I could keep Kyle in trousers that fitted him vaguely because he kept accelerating upwards. So if that's the incredible, what's the completely awful? Well, you probably can figure this out, but Amazon Prime for me is the epitome of the instant access culture that we've become increasingly accustomed to. So literally within the next two minutes, I could jump on my phone, I could show you a live picture from a webcam on the top of Ben Nevis. I could order us a pizza for lunch, or I could order a packet of 18 blueberry fruit and nut bars to be delivered to your house this evening. No prizes for guessing what our last order was on Amazon. And as helpful as some of that is, the problem is that we are training our minds to expect everything to happen instantly. And therefore, I get frustrated when it doesn't. So I get frustrated when waiting for medical test results. If anybody that's had a PCR test in the past little while will know how annoying that is. I get irritated when I get stuck in traffic and my journey doesn't take exactly the millisecond that it was predicted on my sat-nav. And I get upset when I can't get hold of somebody the first time I try and call them. Now, thankfully, Lindsay, my wife, isn't here to feel that condemnation right now this morning. But, but all of this points to something completely contradictory to the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to be talking about today. And that, of course, is patience. It's brilliant to be able to celebrate with Jim and Agnes this morning. And... Uh, I don't think there's any coincidence that we're talking about patience when you're looking at 60 years of marriage. Is that right, Agnes? <laughs> yeah. You'll know, you'll know who, I, who I asked the question of, right? As a quick recap, we're coming towards the end of a nine-week series uh, looking at the fruits of the Spirit as outlined in Galatians chapter 5. And in fact, this week is the penultimate message. And I only said that because it felt like I was emulating Martin Clark when I say penultimate. I think that's one of his favorite words. I was listening to the sermon last week. Uh, and this core passage basically looks at the difference between our selfish desires and the attitudes that are a result of the Spirit of God working within us. So the fruits of that Spirit. So let me just quickly read a couple of excerpts from Galatians chapter 5 just to uh, remind us of where we're going with this. So it says in verse uh, 19, let me find it. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, 
dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned uh, you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So for everyone who is a Christian in the room today, we should expect that as the Holy Spirit works within us, that we should see more and more of the evidence of these traits in our lives. It should be the flavor that we leave behind in conversations and in interactions with people around us. Now, there's two things that we need to hold in balance here. Firstly, when Paul is writing this, this isn't a pep talk to just try harder. It's not a self-help book that if you concentrate really intensely and do the right breathing exercises and somehow you'll be able to get better at all of these things. It's just not true. No amount of trying harder is going to sustainably produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And there is no intention with this series to make you feel guilty or heavy laden. Equally, it's also true that we shouldn't be comfortable with simply, seeing these fru- uh, simply not seeing these fruits in our lives. If those looking on at your lives see more of the first list than the second list, then we need to be praying that the Lord would be at work in our lives and changing us from the inside out. We can't just assume that the Lord will develop these traits in us without some degree of repentance and desire on our part. So once again, it's one of these things we need to hold in tension as we do with so many things in the faith. So today we're going to be exploring how greater dependence on God will produce patience in our lives. So just for a moment, let's try and define patience. Here's a couple of options which I found helpful. First one, patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. I thought that was good. Or, and then I love this one. This is from a pastor called Paul Tripp. He said this, Patience is the quietness of heart, the rest of the soul, in the face of uncomfortable delay. Let me read that again. Patience is the quietness of heart, the rest of the soul, in the face of uncomfortable delay. A couple of weeks ago, at least in Contour, I'm not sure exactly when Dan did this, but um, he was preaching on goodness and, oh, gentleness, sorry. And he used this lovely analogy where he was talking about a, a parent, a good parent that was helping their child to walk and how when they're doing that, when they're trying to get them to learn that they do so gently, but they also do so patiently. There's no sense of a parent, a good parent at least, getting frustrated and angry that their child is falling over time and time again, or they just patiently pick them up and then they cheer them on when they succeed. And the Bible is absolutely full of references to patience. Proverbs 14:29 says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Or 1 Corinthians 13, we, we know that passage really well as we explore all the elements of love. One of the first ones it says is love is patient. 
Paul, when he's instructing the Ephesians church, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then in lots of places in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Exodus, it refers to God, our Father, as compassionate and gracious, slow to anger or patient, and abounding in love. And there's dozens more verses that we could quote which underline the importance of patience throughout Scripture. But as I look across the Bible, I see a clear picture. Patience is a priority for us as believers. It's ingrained within God's very character, and it's demonstrated perfectly in Jesus. So then the question is, okay, what are the implications for us? And to answer that, I want us to look at what will be our core text for today. Thank you so much for reading. Um, And that's in James chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 7. I'm just going to read it again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. As I look at this passage, I want us to concentrate on three areas this morning. Firstly, we need to be patient for eternity. Secondly, we need to be patient with one another. And thirdly, we need to be patient in suffering. So firstly, if we look at this idea of being patient for eternity, we don't have to look very far to see that we live in a broken world. I've commented so much recently about how much brokenness I'm seeing in the lives of those around me and in the world in general. We see our world that's in this kind of hangover from the COVID pandemic. We see challenges economically. We see the war in Ukraine and in many other parts of the world. We see it in our nation with concerning government policies and unhealthy cultural norms causing absolute chaos and confusion, especially for our young people. We see it in our church with broken bodies and families causing pain and suffering. And friends, as Christians, we are not immune to brokenness. And yet we know two things. We know that Jesus came and conquered death and sin and brokenness and pain. And we know that one day Jesus will come again to wipe away every tear and to restore all things. And so we find ourselves in the middle between these two realities with freedom in Christ and the promises of great hope in one hand and the trouble of sin and death and brokenness on the other. We are, in many ways, living out that uncomfortable delay that we read in the definition earlier. And yet, in this moment, we're called to be patient even when all is not as it should be. We're called to be patient even when culture is closing in on us. 
And we're called to be patient even when revival is not coming the way we would dream. There, there is a biblical premise of waiting. The Israelites waited hundreds of years for a Messiah. They waited 40 years in the desert. Jesus waited 30 years to start his ministry. Joseph and Job were called to be patient. And there's many, many other biblical characters that we could point to who had to wait. And so for us, as we wait, we need to do so with the right attitude. Verse 8 calls us to establish our hearts. And that's a really curious phrase. It echoes the same sentiment as you would read in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, which says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. Listen to those words just for a second. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He has already conquered. He's seated. He's not even having to make an effort because he knows that he's already won. The battle has been completed. The victory is assured. And so as we look on this world and we get frustrated about injustice and corruption and darkness and pain, we should have compassion We should pray earnestly. We should strive to make sure that injustices do not go unchecked. But we shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't be easily buffeted by circumstances. Our hearts should be steadfast, set on things above. And we should rest in the knowledge that he holds the whole world in his hands. The fruit of patience will come as we fix our eyes on this risen Jesus. As we establish our hearts, as we're resolute in our commitment to Jesus, as we're steadfast, we will find rest in the face of uncomfortable delay as we wait for him to make all things new. We need to be patient for eternity. Secondly, we need to be patient with one another. If you look at verse 9, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Any of you who have ever been a parent or a spouse or a child, or in fact, anyone who's ever breathed, will know that being patient with others is a challenge. Instinctively, in our sinful natures, we're inclined to be impatient, intolerant, and grouchy with one another. And Martin shared really powerfully last week about the importance of this when he looked at the fruit of the spirit of kindness. There is a tragedy in our human condition that we tend to be least patient, and therefore, if we think about 1 Corinthians 13, least loving towards those who we care for the most. And this is often too true of our brothers and sisters in the church as well. Large slices of the New Testament are dedicated to letters written to churches who are just not getting on with each other. And I'm sure that in a room like this, for some of you, you've been deeply hurt by the church. That grumbling against one another has left you wounded. 
And it's just not the way it should be. And the message in James is particularly strong. We do need to be patient with one another. And then Colossians 3 paints a completely different picture of what the church should be like. Colossians 3 and verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Patience in the church means bearing with one another, being quick to forgive, letting peace rule in your hearts, and focusing on the encouragement and building up of Christ's church. And as I read verse 17 again, it says this, it says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as I read that again, I'm struck by the context here. I think we often refer to this verse as a kind of an overall mantra for life, and and that's perfectly valid. But if we look at the context of what Paul is writing, it's meant as a set of interpersonal instructions, as an instruction to the church. And so that means that we need to look at what we're doing in the church and ask if it's being done in the name of the Lord Jesus. As we serve, teaching children's church, or helping with coffee, or welcoming new people, is it being done in the name of Jesus? If we think about our interpersonal relationships outside of the church, as we love our neighbors, or reach out to our friends, or share with our co-workers, do we do so in the name of Jesus? And then equally, and really importantly, before we grumble, or complain, or speak sharply to one another, We should use this as a guard, asking ourselves simply, are our words and deeds being done in the name of the Lord Jesus? Because the truth is that sadly, this kind of stuff happens all too often in the context of the church. Those that we love the most, we are least patient with. Romans uh, 15, 5 and 6 encourages us, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How I long that Hillview and Cantor would be a place where we would together, with one literal and metaphorical voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity in the church is one of the most important things we need to guard. And being patient with one another is key to ensuring that unity is preserved. When we seek after him with thankfulness in our heart, the fruit of patience with one another will become a natural outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we need to be patient for eternity, and we need to be patient with one another.
Finally, we need to be patient in suffering. Have a look at verses 10 and 11. It says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those steadfast who remained, those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James points us to the Old Testament prophets as an example of suffering and patience. Those who are patient in suffering, we're told, are blessed. And it kind of begs the question, especially when you're referring to somebody like Job, who literally lost everything, it begs the question, how can suffering be a blessing? Let me read this from Romans chapter 5. It says this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then this is an important part. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As I've already mentioned, there is much suffering all around us. There's much suffering even among you who are sitting here today. As we've talked about health issues, economic challenges, family strife. And yet here I am standing up here and asking you to rejoice in those sufferings. That really is quite an ask. And thankfully, this isn't the wisdom according to Colin Ross. This is the wisdom that comes from the only source of wisdom that we can actually trust. So why do we rejoice in our sufferings? Because we know that they aren't fruitless. Suffering takes us on a step-by-step journey of becoming more like Christ. Suffering produces endurance, or as some translations put it, patience. When we remain steadfast, enduring, with our hearts established, We grow in character, and character in turn produces hope, hope for a future that will not disappoint. So all of these things begin to circle around the same principles. When we fix our eyes on Jesus and establish our hearts, when we're steadfast in our resolve, patience will be their fruit. And it's exactly the same point that's been coming through week after week of this series. Now, in the context of suffering, being steadfast doesn't mean that you don't wrestle with the situation. It's okay to question. It's okay to be upset. But ultimately, a steadfast, patient response will be a blessing to you and to those around you. That doesn't mean that the suffering and the source of the suffering will automatically change. But we will be able to see, as it says in verse 11, the purpose of the Lord. Now, I'm sure that there are many of us here who would be able to bear testimony to this. I certainly can in family situations, in my career, 
in the church, I've seen the purposes of God in the midst of suffering. What the enemy has meant for evil, he's turned to incredible good. In our church, we've known people who have been wonderful encouragements as they give praise to God through their sufferings. I won't start naming names for the fear of missing someone out, but I'm sure you'll immediately be able to think of brothers and sisters who, through the darkest and most challenging of moments, have been able to point to the glory and goodness of God. It doesn't pass me by that Lynn read our scripture this morning. What a blessing you've been, Lynn. The reverberations of the testimonies of those who have patiently endured suffering have been and will continue to be felt far and wide. And that, friends, is a beautiful picture of the fruit of the Spirit in each of their lives. So we're to be patient as we wait for eternity. We're to be patient with one another. And we're to be patient in suffering. To bring us to a close, let me start where we started. The fruit of the Spirit is not produced by hard work. It's produced by the Holy Spirit doing that work within us. As we seek after the Lord with steadfast hearts fixed on Him, we will bear patience in our lives. We will run contrary to the prevailing instant gratification Amazon culture. We will learn to be still and patient for eternity. We'll learn to be patient with one another, loving and encouraging the church. And we'll learn to be patient in suffering as we walk with Christ through the challenges and pain of this life. And as we do so, we will reflect the perfect, patient character of God who is incredibly patient with each one of us. This Lord who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do recognize that you are a God who is slow to anger. You're a God who is abounding in steadfast love. Lord, in so many ways, we don't deserve the patience that we enjoy. Father, we do not deserve in of ourselves to not be struck down even in this moment. And Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that in our own power, patience is something we will struggle with. And so, Father, we come and we say, Holy Spirit, fill us again. Do a work in our lives. Father, help us to be patient as we wait for you to make all things new. Lord, we look around at this world and we despair at so many things. And yet we know that you hold the world in your hands. Lord, that as we walk this balance between the time gone and the time to come, 
Lord, we ask for the fruit of the spirit of patience to be working itself out in our lives. Father, as we, as a broken set of people, gather together and join in trying to glorify you here in this church, Father, would you gift us with the fruit of patience in our lives? Help us to honor and care for one another. Help us to build up the church. Help us to allow the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of patience towards one another. And Lord, we recognize the brokenness of this world. Father, we know that we see suffering all around us, and many of us will be walking through suffering even right now. And Father, we pray that we would have that quietness of heart during uncomfortable delay. Help us, Lord, to lean on you. Help us to see you glorified in the midst of our sufferings. Father, we thank you for the wonderful examples that we see all around us of folks who choose to worship you, to declare the goodness of God even in the midst of challenge. Help us, Lord, to care for one another in that and help us individually to seek you above all things. Lord, we long for your Holy Spirit to bear the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. We long to leave a a taste of you with those that we interact with. And so, Father, do a work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray.